0: Be seated. So we are beginning a, a new series this week, uh, looking at the book of Ezekiel together, which we're going to call Hope in Exile. I've mentioned to you that I'm doing a a keynote at Pepperdine Bible Lectures, which is a a blessing, and opportunity, but you get assigned a passage when you do that. And so they gave me a passage from the book of Ezekiel, and I was thinking, whoa, I need to learn a lot about that book because I don't really know much about the book of Ezekiel. So we had a class about it a little bit in the fall, but as I've continued to to think through this and do some reading and research, uh, there's just a lot to think about in this book, especially I think in in our time and our place and in our point in our church as well, which I'll get to. Uh, in just a minute. But Ezekiel is a confusing book, and if I'm honest, before I started to research it a bit, I didn't know that much. I knew about the Valley of Dry Bones passage, and then there's a verse that you learn as youth group boys, Ezekiel 2320. You can look that up later. It's a weird one, but uh, we kind of knew that one, and we'll laugh about that. Someone might look at it now and go, whoa, that's, I can't believe it's in the Bible. But um, the book of Ezekiel is one that's a bit confusing. A commentary that I started to read on it said this about Ezekiel. Most of you are probably reading this commentary out of curiosity. Or desperation, or a mixture of both. And I definitely found myself in the mixture of both category. Ezekiel is uh, in the back half of the Old Testament. It's in the middle of what's called the prophetic books. There are the major prophets and minor prophets. It's very simply, the major prophets are the ones who have a lot to write, and the minor ones are, are much shorter. And the prophets are writing around a time that it would have been collective in the mindset and consciousness of the people that they all would have known exactly what was going on in the context of uh, why they were writing. Similar to an event that happened uh, in our history uh, that would just bring a lot of emotions and thoughts to mind. One that is just numbers. To remember, what, what event do you think I'm talking about? 9-11, sure, yeah. People know that that's just something that, that changed history for us, especially as Americans. Uh, The event that Ezekiel and the other prophets are riding around uh, is when Babylon comes in and uh, destroys and then takes many of the people in the nation of Israel as captive, moves them uh, into exile. And 597 is when the first deportation happens. And then eventually 587, and this would have been the year that would have been on everybody's mind, Babylon comes in again and destroys the temple. And what do you do as a person who is a Jewish believer who a lot of the Old Testament is about like instructions on how to worship God in the temple, how you're supposed to build things in the temple so God will be praised, the very specific ways that you're supposed to do worship. How do you possibly recover from the temple being destroyed? And it would be one thing if God forbid our church building was ever destroyed, right? That would be hard, but some of us have some real important memories here. Mandy and I were married here. I was, I grew up in this church, so I was baptized up there. So there are things that are significant and important just for me, but even as, as a Christian believer, it's different than the temple where this is where God is. And now it's gone. And it's fascinating to read about it from the perspective of Ezekiel, especially because He's the son of a priest, the son of a preacher man, you might say. And he was a part of that system. And so it's not only somebody who like, knows a lot about it and is very religious and it's very important. It's somebody who literally would be part of worshiping God in this place. And Ezekiel writes uh, very fascinatingly around that event in 587, a little bit like right previously because he finds himself in exile in Babylon as a slave. And then he writes about this event as it happens. And what do you do when the worst thing possible, the worst thing imaginable happens? I I did a Google search of, um, recent, like, disorienting events. And one of them mentioned the how the iPhone doesn't have a home button anymore. And that's, like, a real struggle for people because when you get your new iPhone, uh, you have to figure out this whole new system. And now it's not there, and you, like, kind of naturally go for it. And after a few days, you get rid of it. But in a small way, things like that, they are a bit disorienting. It takes a few days to get used to new technology. It takes a few days to figure out, like, how things are supposed to be. But imagine something like this. And I bet it's not hard for you to imagine something like this because you likely have had an experience like this. Maybe you've been divorced or you lost someone way too soon or you have been through something that's just extremely difficult. And one of the blessings about being involved in church community is we get a chance to share in each other's joys, but we also share in each other's struggles too, right? And I think this word, thinking about exile, is extremely timely for our church community because we've had some tough stuff in our church community, even just over the last six weeks. Justin and Jamie Smith had a a baby that they lost when she was six months pregnant, and they actually texted me today and just, they didn't know I was really talking about this necessarily, but they just said, you know, it's it's been hard this week. Jeremy Anderson lost his father, Jeff, to cancer. And I don't know, you probably didn't get to know Jeff, but Jeff was a fantastic guy. Uh, He helped to plant a church in Phoenix. Now he he was living in Dallas at the end of his life, and I got a chance when I did a, a preaching retreat there in Dallas to go spend time with him at the hospital about three months ago. And he's just an amazing person. So as a church community, as we wrestle with some of this stuff, of course it's nice that we also get to celebrate in each other's celebrations, but even though we aren't at the center, perhaps, of dealing with some of this stuff, we feel the shockwaves, right? We are praying for these people. We are praying, hopefully, for these situations. And it doesn't always end up how we would have hoped. Exile, distance from God... Moments when we're questioning God happen, I'd say, consistently to us at different times in our lives. But what are you supposed to do? When the thing, maybe the one thing or thing that you always relied on, what what are you supposed to do? When that happens? Ezekiel, I think, is helpful for us to think through that because we see someone who literally is in exile as a slave. And I know you maybe have had some tough situations in your life. But imagine if your religion was completely destroyed. Imagine that you were forcibly moved to a land that isn't your own. And you now are thinking, God, where are you in this? What does this mean? How can I even possibly rebuild? So Ezekiel chapter 11, I think, gives us some ideas for what it looks like when we're struggling, when we're asking God hard questions. This message comes to Ezekiel, um, again, chapter 11, starting in verse 14. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel who are in exile. They're saying those people are far away from the Lord, so now he has given their land to us. Therefore, Held the exiles. So again, this is the people who are gathered this community that has had this, this horrible thing happen, who would really be asking the question, can we even worship God anymore? This is what God says. Although I have scattered you in the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you during your time in exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you've been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel once again. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a heart of flesh, so they will obey my decrees and my regulations. Then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. One of the most uh, profound things that I think is is said in there, uh, it might be translated in your Bible, an undivided heart. Uh, It's singleness in that passage, the word echad in Hebrew. And it means basically that that you would have this collective. And as we talked about uh, just a few minutes ago, these are written to Christian communities, groups of people. And so this is written to a, a community of people who are scattered. And it says, you know, you will once again, you'll have a singleness of heart together. You will have a new home, which is a really unbelievable thing to say. For those of you who live in Los Angeles and move from some other place, you know that even just moving to another place, even if you weren't forced to move, suddenly your heart can be in two places. The first time I remember this happening was when I, as a sophomore in college, studied in Heidelberg, Germany. It was a huge blessing, and I really enjoyed what I was doing, enjoyed the um, community that I had there. And to be honest, I didn't miss home much, until Thanksgiving Day. And on Thanksgiving Day, I was like, wow, I wish I could get on a plane and go back home. Because our family tradition was to go spend time with the Dilbeck family, and so we would, we, I, I called them um, from this, this little, like, isolated phone that you, it was so different when you didn't have technology, like was a little pay phone downstairs, and, um, They asked me, like, what food do you think is here? And I'm like, "Uh, the green jello salad, and then uh, the mashed potatoes, and I was just guessing all this stuff. And it was the first time in my life where it was like, okay, I'm enjoying what I'm doing here, but I miss home." And that happens to you if you've moved to a new place. It happens to you if you get married and all of a sudden you can't just do whatever your family used to do because what your family does is right and then you have to do some other family's thing. And so you just have uh, these, these things that, that happen and even in situations where you aren't like forced to move or you have to do it this way, your heart is in two places. And so it's pretty unbelievable That God would give this message, you know, you are going to have a singleness of heart one day. You, community, you are going to have a singleness of heart again. Which is something that seems so hard to believe. And then God, I think, explains a little bit about how that might work. Because God is going to help them, their hearts have become like stone. And he's going to give them the opportunity for that heart to become more like flesh. And to help us think through that, I had uh, Barbara make this pot, this beautiful pot, and uh, Michaela's going to help me if she could come up right now. Um, I think this, this illustrates uh, what, what happens when we are experiencing life. Because sometimes life hits us. <laughs> And when you have a heart of stone, just go for it, keep going. There we go, nicely done, that was uh, very well done, thank you. Give her a hand on that. When when you have a, a heart of stone and you have life happen to you, when that divorce happens, when that person dies that you didn't expect, whatever it is, and you could probably name. We all probably have things that we would say, you know, once I learn about that thing, I, I just I, it's just changing everything. And what happens when we enter into seasons after those things collapse on us is there's dislocation. We're wondering, you know, like up is down and down is up, and maybe you've had moments where you didn't sleep and you're just staring at the ceiling because you're thinking, how, how am I ever going to live through this? How can I take another step? How can I walk even another day? How can I continue to, to deal with this reality? And then secondly, on the other side is, where is God in all of this? And how am I supposed to deal with this? God, like, the temple's now destroyed. Where are we supposed to even worship you? How are we supposed to worship you? Are you even there? We are supposedly your people, but it doesn't seem like you care about us all that much. And to be honest, I think a lot of people, right, as uh, Michaela hit that not once, but the second time, when when that happens, this is when people often walk away from faith. And I want to say that's fair, right? And there's some things that happen that make you say, God, what's up? Where are you? I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to do what you have asked me to do. I've tried to continue in your calling, and sometimes religious people can be the worst at this. We can do these things and be part of these activities, and then we kind of expect that God is going to act in certain ways, because I've been there, right? I've been doing the stuff. I volunteer to sense every once in a while. You know, I don't let the sheep pass me for family promise, And we can start to think, God, then you're going to have to act in certain ways. And so again, I think it's fair. And sometimes I think churches can get like this, where you can just become so rigid and this is how this has to go. This worship has to be whatever it is. You know, this is how this thing has to go. This is the way things are going to be. One of my friends in ministry says churches should sometimes be honest and just say you're really just not listening to God's spirit as you move forward. You should just put on the sign outside like keeping the Jones family happy since 1973 because you guys are just so rigid in what you're doing. Instead of saying, God, where would you lead us? Who would, you have us, who would you have us be? Where would you have us go? And even though these moments are scary, when things get shattered around you, the things that you kind of place your belief in aren't there anymore. I think Ezekiel teaches us that it's sometimes in those moments that we can have profound experiences. And if we allow ourselves to be open to God in those moments, which I agree is hard, God might do something pretty profound in us. That if we say, God, okay, I really don't understand why that happened, and we're getting like the texts and emails, you know, God has a reason for everything, which really isn't a biblical concept. Ecclesiastes basically says all of life is, in the Hebrew term, is hevel, which means translated well, BS. I can't really say the word. And those are my initials. That might make a lot of sense to you guys now. You're like, oh, I never thought about that, but that makes total sense. So Ecclesiastes says, like, there's things that happen in this life that there's not going to be, like, A plus B equals C. The closest the Bible comes to answering about the problem of evil is in the New Testament when um, there's a man who's born blind who's brought to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, like, X plus B, because when it comes to pain, there's not a good answer, right? Right? And there's not enough. Like when you're going through something really hard, you might grow from it, but you would never say, you know, I really wish I was back in that again. There's not a good enough answer. So the closest that the Bible comes to answering the problem of pain is Jesus says, this man has been born blind, but God's glory can be shown through it. Not this happened so God can be glorified, but God's glory can be shown in this person. So when we have these moments, when exile comes, when we find ourselves, we once in, we're in this safe location, we need to examine ourselves and say, well, is my heart a little bit made of stone right here? Am I willing to ask the hard question, okay, this really difficult thing happened, life came flying at me, but God, I'm going to give you my questions. I'm going to give you my doubts. I want you to continue to move through me. Because that is what Ezekiel describes, I believe, as a heart of flesh. Which is the clay that Barbara gave me that was formed into nothing at this point. And when you have a heart of flesh, things can happen to you. You can have some difficult stuff. You can, like, run into a really hard season And it really sticks for a while. (laughs) It's really stuck. Okay. (laughs) And there might be parts of you that are left behind. There's some things that you learned during that season. And again, you would never wish that you would go through it. You would pray that that would never happen to you or anyone again. But if you have a heart that's willing to be flexible and formed a heart that continues to seek God even in difficult seasons. I believe Ezekiel shows us that God can still speak. That just because that thing happened that you would never want and you never want to be part of and you wish would never happen again, it doesn't mean that God is done with you. And we know this. There's... The organization you might be familiar with, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and that organization was started by someone who lost her daughter to an accident with a drunk driver. It was in Fair Oaks, California. And that organization was started from a painful event. There are now over 500 employees. There's um, an organization, there's an office in every single state and every province of Canada. Every single year, um, the company generates $30 million, $20 million of which goes to education. This is something that I'm sure the founder would say, I, I, I wish this never happened. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to relive it. But I'm letting this, this painful experience be something that then blesses other people. And may we learn to be open To God, Because oftentimes I think it's when we're going through the hardest stuff that we become the most rigid, which is exactly the opposite thing of what we should do. Studies have shown that the best way to build buildings in California where we're constantly worried about the next earthquake is actually having at the bottom of these buildings columns of rubber. You would think it would be the exact opposite, right? You'd think it'd be like put more steel, more concrete, you know, just like get it really rigid, make it as good as possible, you know, just do a bunch of it. And they found that the best way to build, to get ready for an earthquake, is by having columns of rubber. Is your heart made of flesh? And again, I totally get it. When things get really hard, when it's difficult, that is time when you say, God, I, I don't know if I can keep going on this. But I think the promise of Ezekiel is that you might not ever have like a good reason why that happened, but God is with you through it. And God can continue to go with you after it. Because one of the things that's so hard for people who lose the temple is they believed that God's, pre- that God's presence was actually there. And you did all this stuff to appease the presence of God. You would do all this sacrifice. So God's presence is actually there. One of the most beautiful verses in Ezekiel is this. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. It says, The cherubim lifted their wings and rose into the air with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountain to the east. Without context, that verse probably you're like, what does that even mean? Um, But what's happening here is God's presence is leaving the temple and going east to the people in exile. But the people who now believe, what are we supposed to do? And this has been so disorienting. God, I'm supposed to find you in that place, and now where am I even supposed to go? God's presence meets them there. And it might not be in exactly how they would want it to be. But God's presence in a mysterious way meets people in exile, which is some of the best news in all of Scripture, I believe. Because if we were talking about our lives, we would know that this is true. If I was to share about my life, you were to share about your life. I would imagine that the uh, maybe four or five most pivotal things that you've experienced, uh, that you would say, you know, God taught me stuff during that season. Again, I wouldn't want to go back there, but I I learned some things. I I grew. I got to experience the love of Christian community. It isn't when you got a new truck. It's when you sometimes we're going through really difficult things, and you experience the presence of God in that place. The good news from the Book of Ezekiel is there is life after exile. There is God after exile. It requires us, I believe, to be a little bit flexible, and that can be a bit scary. Because when we are flexible, I believe God can do new things in us. And as I mentioned, there are some people who I know specifically are going through some exile moments in our Christian community. We've had some tough losses in these recent weeks. But others of you, you might be in your own season as well. And as you go through that period of disorientation, as you wonder, like, how can I even move forward? What is next? I pray for you that you would have a heart of flesh. One that says, God, what do you want me to do? And the thing is, if you're open to that, God might give you some advice through prayer, through support and community, and how do you know that it's from God? It's probably the thing that you don't want to do. It's something that you just wouldn't have come up with on your own. And oftentimes, again, it's in these really difficult seasons that we're most rigid, that we have like everything, you know, I, I can't, I, no, I can't do that. You know, God, you've kind of let me down here. I'm not going to continue to listen to you. And God's saying, you should probably go, like, forgive that person. Not just, like, in your heart, but, like, go, you know, talk with them and forgive them. Or think about how you could use this pain in a creative way. And when it comes to these seasons of difficulty, as we are all disoriented, it's so easy to just become more rigid. And sometimes to separate ourselves from the people that we do really desperately need to be around. So as we, as a community, are mourning with people who are mourning, as you maybe individually are going through a season of exile, I pray for you that you would have a heart of flesh, one that is willing to be open to God's spirit and leading. And as you think about that specific situation, would you be willing to pray, God, I don't understand why this has happened. In fact, I wish that it didn't happen. But God, would you lead me as I deal with this? Because I feel very distant from you, and I feel like I want to be rigid. I feel like I I don't want to be open to you. But that, I believe, is the place that you need to hear from God's Spirit most to allow God to lead you. And again, if something comes to mind that you really don't want to do and you wouldn't have thought of on your own, I might just be God trying to form in you once again this heart of flesh. Let's pray together. God, as I mentioned, there are things that are going on in our church community that are just really difficult that there is no easy answer for, that we as a community are all mourning and struggling with. Father, may we have a heart of flesh. May we allow you to lead us. And in those moments when we are tempted to get most rigid, when we are tempted to just block out the people who who care for us, who sometimes need to speak into our lives, may you give us this heart of flesh. May you truly lead us. God, it is such good news that your presence goes to people who are in exile. For all of us who find our hearts in a spirit, a place of dislocation, may you remind us of that truth. Father, be with us as we strive to be led by you this week. Your son Jesus, in my prayer, amen. Let's stand and worship together.